After reciting the Tashahud, Ta'awuz in Surah Al-Fatiha, Hazrat Khalifatul Masih the Fifth, Ayyadahullah Ta'ala bin Israhil Aziz stated, And in the previous Friday sermon, the Battle of Ahad was being mentioned. And I will present the brief details given by Hazrat Muslim Maud radiallahu ta'ala anhu in relation to this. Hazrat Muslim Maud radiallahu ta'ala anhu states, that whilst fleeing from the battlefield, that is, after the Battle of Badr, the army of the disbelievers announced that they would attack Medina again the following year and avenge their loss to the Muslims. And so, a year later, they once again made full preparations to launch an attack on Medina. The state of rage of the Meccans was such that following the Battle of Badr, they announced that no one was allowed to mourn over their dead. Furthermore, all the income generated from the trade caravans would be saved for the upcoming battle. As such, after much preparation, an army of more than 3,000 soldiers set off to attack Medina under the leadership of Abu Sufyan. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, consulted the companions whether they should remain in the city and fight them or go outside of the city. His personal opinion was to allow the enemy to launch the attack so that they would be held responsible for commencing the war and so that the Muslims could easily confront them while remaining within their city. However, the young Muslims who did not have the opportunity to participate in the Battle of Badr and whose hearts yearned that they too be given the opportunity to be martyred in the cause of God, they all insisted that they should not be deprived of martyrdom. And so, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, accepted their suggestion. Whilst consulting them, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, also narrated a dream of his. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, stated, that I saw some cows in a dream, and I saw that the tip of my sword broken, and I also saw that these cows are being slaughtered. I then saw that I placed my hand in a strong and secure chain mill, and I also saw that I mounted upon a ram. Upon this, the companion submitted that, O Messenger of Allah وسلم, how have you interpreted these dreams? The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, replied, that the interpretation of the cows being slaughtered is that some of my companions will be martyred. And the breaking of the sword indicates that a prominent individual from my relatives will be martyred. Or perhaps I may suffer an affliction during this battle. And I consider the interpretation of placing my hand in the chainmill to mean that staying in Medina is better for us. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, further stated, 
that the interpretation of being mounted upon a ram seems to me that we will be victorious over the leader of the army of the disbelievers. In other words, that he will be killed at the hands of the Muslims. Though it was made clear to the Muslims in this dream that it is better for them to stay in Medina, however, since the interpretation of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was based on his personal view and not based on divine revelation, he therefore accepted the view of the majority and decided to head out for battle. In relation to this dream, it should be remembered that certain signs and inferences are made in dreams. Explaining this, the Promised Messiah elaborates upon the metaphors of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and states that the metaphors which are found in the visions and dreams of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, are not concealed or hidden to those who read the ahadith. For example, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was shown in a vision that he was wearing two gold bangles on his arms. And this was interpreted to mean the two liars who made false claims to prophethood. The Promised Messiah further states that at another time the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was shown in his dream or vision that cows were being slaughtered. And this referred to the companions who were martyred in the Battle of Ahad. Many such examples are found in the visions of other prophets that although something was shown to them, but in reality it referred to something different. Thus, metaphors and figurative meanings in the words of prophets is not a rare thing. Nevertheless, when the decision was made to fight outside the city of Medina, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, instructed the companions to prepare for battle. And the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, also began to prepare for the battle. As it was mentioned earlier, the details of this are as follows that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, did not want to go outside the city to fight on the basis of his dream. But when people continuously persisted, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, agreed to their opinion. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, led the Friday prayers and delivered a sermon, commanding them to fight with complete courage and bravery. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, gave them glad tidings that if they acted with patience, then Allah the Almighty would bestow victory and success upon them. Thereafter, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, commanded the people to go and prepare for war. People heard this command and became happy. After this, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, offered the Asr prayer with everyone. And by this time, those who arrived from nearby also gathered. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, then went into his house alongside Hazrat Abu Bakr and Hazrat Umar. They both tied the turban of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and helped him put it on his armour. While waiting for him, people were arranged in rows outside. And at this time, Hazrat Saad bin Muad and Hazrat Usaid bin Hudair said to the people, The you people have compelled the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, to go outside the city of Medina and fight against his wishes. Therefore, you should still just leave the matter to him. Whatever command the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, gives, and whatever opinion he holds, there will be betterment for us in it. Therefore, obey him. When the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, came outside, he was wearing his armour. He was wearing a double coat of armour, meaning one coat on top of another. And the names of these pieces of armour Zatul Fuzul and Fizza. Zatul Fuzul was the armor that Hazrat Saad bin Ubadah sent to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, 
when he was going out for the Battle of Badr. And this was the same armour that when the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, passed away, it was in the custody of a Jewish man at the time and was kept with him as a deposit. Hazrat Abu Bakr then later obtained this armour, meaning he paid the sum and took the armour back. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, had hung his sword on his side and put his quiver on his back. And it is stated in a narration that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, mounted his horse named Saqab and hung his bow and held a spear in his hand. In any case, it is possible that both things happened and different people witnessed this. When the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, came out of his house, he was wearing his armour and weapons. He was informed that Hazrat Malik bin Amr Najjari had passed away and that his body had been placed where the funeral prayers were offered. And so the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, led his funeral prayer before departing. At this time, some people said to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, that, O Messenger of Allah, peace be upon him, our intention was not to oppose your opinion or to compel you in something. Therefore, act according to whatever you think is best. It is also mentioned in another narration that they said that if you do not like to leave the city to fight, then we can stay here. However, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, stated that it is not permissible for a Prophet that after he puts on his armour that he removes it until Allah the Almighty decides between him and his enemies. And in a different narration, the words used are not until he fights. Regarding the preparation of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him and the companions' realisation of their mistake, Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmad Sahib writes, Thereafter, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, retired to his residence, where he tied his turban and put on his equipment and took his arms with the assistance of Hazrat Abu Bakr and Hazrat Umar, and then came out in the name of Allah. However, during this time, due to the admonishment of some of the companions, the party of young men began to realise their mistake, in that they should not have insisted upon their own opinion in opposition to the view of God's Messenger, and most of them were now inclined towards remorse. When these people saw the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, coming with his arms and clad in double the armour and his helmet, etc., their regret grew even more. They almost unanimously submitted that, O Messenger of Allah, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, we have committed a mistake in insisting upon our own view over your own. They stated that you should employ whatever strategy you deem most appropriate. God willing, it shall be most blessed. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, stated that it does not befit a prophet of God to put on his arms and then lay them down before God issues forth a verdict. So go forth now in the name of Allah, and if you are steadfast, then be certain that the help of Allah the Exalted shall be with you. Hazrat Muslim Aud also states in regard to this incident that when the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, came outside, the young men felt regret in their hearts, and they submitted that, O Messenger of Allah, peace be upon him, whatever you advise is correct, and we should stay in Medina to fight against the enemy. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, responded, and when a Prophet of God puts on his armour, he does not remove it. Now, whatever happens, we will still go forth. And if you act with patience, then the help of Allah will come to you. Thus, the preparations were made for the Muslim army to depart. And the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, departed from Medina with an army of a thousand. At this time, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, asked for three spears and tied three flags to them. The flag of the Aus tribe was given to Usaid bin Hudair, and the flag of the Khazraj tribe was given to Hubab bin Munzir, while others are of the opinion that it was given to Saad bin Ubadah, and the flag of the Muhajireen was given to Hazrat Ali. Then the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, deputized Hazrat ibn Umm Maktoum 
to lead in prayer all those who stayed behind. Thereafter, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, mounted upon his horse, Saqab, and hung his bow over his neck and held his spear in his hand. It is mentioned in a narration that on the day of the Battle of Ahud, the Muslims had two horses. One horse belonged to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and was named Saqab, while the other horse belonged to Hazrat Abu Burda and was named Mulabi. And the Muslims also took up their weapons, among whom a hundred were wearing armour, and the two Saads, meaning Hazrat Saad bin Muad and Hazrat Saad bin Ubada, began running in front of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. Both of them were wearing armour, and the people were on both sides of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. When they reached Saniya, they saw a heavily armed force. Their weapons were clattering, and the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, asked, Now what is that? The noble companions replied that these are the Jewish confederates of Abdullah bin Ubay. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, asked, that have the Jews accepted Islam? And they replied in the negative. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, then said, that we will not take the help of disbelievers in our fight against the idolaters. In this regard, Hazrat Mizza Bashir Ahmad Sahib also writes, After this, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, instructed that three flags be prepared for the Muslim army. The flag of the Aus tribe was entrusted to Usaid bin Hudair, and the flag of the Khazraj tribe was entrusted to Habab bin Munzir, and the flag of the Muhajireen was entrusted to Hazrat Ali. And later, this flag was granted to Hazrat Musa bin Umar. Then, after appointing Abdullah bin Umm Maktoum as the Imam Salat in Medina and observing Asr Salat, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, set out from Medina with a large community of the companions. The chieftains of the Aus and Khazraj tribe, Aisad bin Muaz and Saad bin Ubada, proceeded along, running slowly just ahead of the mount of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and the rest of the companions moved forward position to the right, left and behind the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. After his departure, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, set up his camp at a place called Sheikhan. This place referred to the two mountains of Medina. And upon arriving at this place, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, inspected his army and sent back those youth whom he thought were below the age of 15 or who were 14 years old. In relation to this, Imam Shafi writes, that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was presented with 17 youths who were 14 years of age, and he sent them back. He was also presented with youth who were 15 years old, and he granted them permission to fight. The youth who were sent back were extremely passionate, and some of their names are found in the narration, namely Abdullah bin Umar, Zaid bin Sabit, Usama bin Zaid, Zaid bin Arkam, Bara bin Azib, Usaid bin Zuhair, Araba bin Os, Abu Sa'id Khudri, Os bin Sabit, Saad bin Bahir, Ibn Muawiyah Bajali, Sa'id bin Habta, Habta was the name of his mother, Saad bin Uqeb, Zaid bin Jariya, Jabir bin Abdullah, this Jabir bin Abdullah is not the one who narrated the ahadith, he is someone else. Rafi bin Khadij and Samra bin Jundab. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was told that Rafi bin Khadij was an archer and so he was granted permission. He was first instructed to return. However, upon learning that he was a proficient archer, he was granted permission to stay. Upon this, Samra bin Jundab said that the Holy Prophet granted permission to Rafi bin Khadij and has instructed me to return, even though I can defeat Rafi bin Khadij in a wrestle. When the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, learned of this, he instructed both of them to wrestle each other. Samra defeated Rafi in the wrestle, and so the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, granted him permission as well. Then, further into the narration, it is recorded and when the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, finished inspecting the army and the sun had set, Hazrat Bilal radiallahu made the call for the Maghrib prayer and the Holy Prophet led the prayer. After this, the call for the Isha prayer was given 
and the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, led the Isha prayer. That night was spent at Sheikh An and Muhammad bin Masalma was given the responsibility of keeping watch during the night. He circled the army with 50 men and the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, had said that who will stay awake to safeguard us? In other words, who would safeguard the army and the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him? Upon this, Zakwan bin Abdekar stood up for the task. It was said that who would stay closest to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, to ensure that the security arrangements were done properly. And so Zakwan bin Abdekar stood up, wore his armour, took up his leather shield and stood as a guard for the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. He did not leave the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, side for even a moment. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, rested until it was time for Sahri, i.e. dawn. And according to the narration, in the morning the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, said that he saw in a dream that the angels were bathing Hazrat Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Regarding this, Hazrat Mizza Bashir Ahmad Sahib radiallahu ta'ala anhu has written in the life and character of the Seal of Prophets that the mountain of Uhud was approximately three miles north of Medina. Halfway there, upon reaching a place called Sheikhan, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, stopped and instructed that the Muslim army should be inspected. The youth who were passionate about jihad and had come along were sent back. And so Abdullah bin Umar, Usama bin Zaid, Abu Sayyid Khudri and others went back. Rafi bin Khadij was the same age as those youth, however he was an expert archer. And owing to this skill, his father recommended to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that he be given permission to partake in jihad. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, looked at Rafi and saw that he was standing tall like the other soldiers to appear stronger and larger. And so his strategy worked as the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, graciously allowed him to come along. Upon this, another youth by the name of Samara bin Jundab, as was mentioned earlier, who was commanded to return, went to his father and said that if Rafi was taken, then I should also be permitted because I am stronger than Rafi and can overcome him in a wrestle. His father was very pleased by his sincerity and so took his son before the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and expressed his son's desire. Whilst smiling, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, stated, Rafi and Samra should wrestle so that we can ascertain who is stronger. And so they began to wrestle, and Samra actually defeated Rafi within moments. Upon this, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, also graciously allowed Samra to accompany them. The heart of this innocent youth was filled with joy. Now that it was evening, Bilal made the call for prayer and all the companions prayed behind the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. The Muslims set up their camp for the night at this very place and the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, appointed Muhammad bin Masalma to make arrangements for security and surveillance during the night. He circled the Muslim army all night with a party of 50 companions. Abdullah bin Ubay bin Sulul initially accompanied them but returned during the journey. The details of this are that at the time of Sehri, i.e. dawn, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, set out from Sheikh An to a place between Medina and Uhud, known as Shod. Upon arriving there, it was time for prayer, and so the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, offered the Fajr prayer. Shod is a place between the valley of Kana and Medina. And it is from this very place that Abdullah bin Ubay bin Sulul and his hypocrite accomplices deserted the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and returned. His accomplices numbered 300, and all of whom were hypocrites. Whilst returning, Abdullah bin Ubay bin Sulul remarked that he, i.e. the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, did not listen to me. In fact, he listened to the youth who are not worthy of any opinion. 
We do not know on what basis we should give our lives. These are the words of Abdullah. And then he said, Thus, O people, go back. Upon this instruction from the leader of the hypocrites, the rest of the hypocrites deserted the Muslims and went back. Upon seeing them return, Hazrat Jabir's father, Hazrat Abdullah bin Amr, went after them. Like Abdullah bin Ubay, he too was a prominent chief of the Khazraj tribe. And he addressed those who were going back and stated, By God, I ask you, that are you content with betraying your Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and the people at a time when their enemies standing before them with their full power and strength? Upon this they replied, that if we had known that we were going to fight in a battle, we would not have accompanied you in the first place. We thought that a battle would not take place. And so in this manner they unequivocally announced that they were going back, despite the fact that they had prepared well for battle. Upon this, Hazrat Abdullah bin Amr said, that, O enemies of God, may Allah ruin and destroy you. Allah soon will free his Prophet from you. In one narration, Alama ibn Jozi writes that when the tribes of Banu Salama and Banu Harsa saw the treachery of Abdullah bin Ubay, they also planned to return. Both these tribes were on either flank of the Muslim army. But then Allah the Almighty saved both these tribes from sin and both of these tribes abandoned the thought of returning. Upon this, Allah the Almighty revealed the following verse. That is, when two of your groups meditated cowardice, although Allah was their friend, and upon Allah should the believers rely. Owing to the treachery of Abdullah bin Ubay and 300 of his men, only 700 companions were left with the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. When Abdullah bin Ubay left, the Ansar said to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, that, O Messenger of Allah, peace be upon him, should we not seek the assistance of the Jews of Medina, who are our confederates? They were referring to the Jews of Medina, and from among them perhaps they were referring to the Banu Qurayza, who were the confederates of Hazrat Sa'd bin Mu'adh. According to some scholars, among the Ansar, the status of Hazrat Sa'd was akin to a position held by Hazrat Abu Bakr among the Muhajireen. In any case, upon this question, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, simply replied that we do not require their assistance. In reference to this, Hazrat Mizza Bashir Ahmed Sahib has written that the following day on the 15th of Shawal, 3 Hijri or the 31st of March 624 AD, on Saturday before dawn, the Muslim army marched forward and offering their salat en route, reached the foot of Mount Ahud at the start of the morning. It was on this occasion that the evil Abdullah bin Ubay bin Sulul, chief of the hypocrites, betrayed the Muslims and separating himself along with 300 followers returned to Medina and stated that Muhammad, peace be upon him, did not pay heed to my advice and being swayed by inexperienced youngsters has come out of Medina. Hence, I cannot remain with him and fight. Some people admonished him of their own accord, saying that such betrayal was uncalled for, but he would not have it and continued to retort that if this was a battle, I too would have taken part, but this is not a battle, it is suicide. Now all that remained of the Muslim army was 700 souls, which was even less than a quarter of the 3,000 warriors of the Quraysh. Furthermore, with respect to mounts and equipment of war as well, the Muslim army was very weak and insignificant in comparison to the army of the Quraysh. The Muslim army only had a hundred men clad in armour and a meagre two horses. By comparison, the disbelieving army boasted 700 men clad in armour, 200 horses and 3,000 camels. In this state of weakness, which was strongly felt by the Muslims, the treachery of Abdullah bin Ubay's 300 men 
had created a state of restlessness and anxiety in the hearts of various weak-hearted Muslims, and some of whom began to lose courage. Hence, as mentioned in the Holy Qur'an, in this very state of distress and anxiety, two tribes from among the Muslims, that is, the Banu Harsa and Banu Salama, had even planned to return to Medina. But since their hearts still possessed the light of faith, they managed to compose themselves, and as far as apparent means were concerned, even as death stared them in the eye, they did not leave the side of their master. Hazrat Muslim Aud states that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, left Medina with an army of a thousand men, and having travelled a short distance, they stopped and set up camp for the night. It was the custom of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, that when he would reach near to the enemy camp, he would let his army rest so they could make the necessary preparations. When the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, came out for the morning prayer, he saw that some Jews had come along with their tribes who they were allied with. Since the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was aware of the mischievous ploys of the Jews, he ordered for them to be sent back. Upon this, Abdullah bin Ubay bin Sulul, who was the chief of the hypocrites, took 300 of his comrades and left and said that this is no longer a war, it is suicide. This was another reason for Abdullah bin Ubay leaving because he questioned why the Jews were not being permitted to fight alongside them and that stopping assistance was inviting one's own destruction. Consequently, the Muslims were left with only 700 men which compared to the disbelievers' army was not even one-fourth in size, but even more inferior in terms of provisions. And among the ranks of the disbelievers, there were 700 men clad in armour, whereas among the Muslims, there were only a hundred, and the disbelievers had a cavalry unit of 200 men, whereas the Muslims only had two horses. When the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, reached the area of the Banu Harsa, a horse of one of the companions waved its tail, and hit his sword. And so, sensing danger, he immediately drew his sword. The narrator of this tradition states that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was always optimistic and never worried about ill omens. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, said to the companion whose sword it was, that put your sword back into the sheath, because I sense that swords will surely be drawn today. Thus, this is what the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, understood from this incident. He then turned to the companions and said, that who will lead us close to the enemy? In other words, to take them using a route that is not normally used. Upon this, Hazrat Abu Khaisama said that, O Messenger of Allah, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, I will lead the way. And according to Ibn Sa'd and others, they have mentioned his name as Abu Khaisama. In any case, he took them to the neighbourhood of the Banu Harsa using the route that passed by their pastures and land. And taking the Muslim army along this route, they reached the mountain pass of mountain Ohud and set up camp. They encamped in a way that Mount Ohud was behind them and Medina was in front of them. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, then addressed the Muslims. The Muslims were arranged in rows at the base of Mount Ohud. On Saturday, the time for the Fajr prayer approached and the Muslims could see the idolaters in front of them. Hazrat Bilal called the Azan and recited the Iqamah. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, then led the companions in the morning prayer. Muhammad bin Umar Aslami narrates that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, stood before the Muslims and stated, O people, I advise you about those things which were given to me in the book, the Qur'an, to abide by those injunctions in the book and to abstain from those things which have been forbidden. Today is a day in which you can gain reward and blessings. Whosoever keeps this in mind is the one who is patient, has firm conviction and is content. In other words, one must be patient if they wish to attain this. He then stated that today you have gathered to fight against the enemy, which will be a vigorous task. There will be few people who can truly be steadfast except for those whom Allah the Almighty guides because Allah helps those people who are obedient to Him whereas Satan assists those who are disobedient to Allah. Thus begin your actions by showing patience in your jihad and search for the favours which Allah has promised you 
by means of it. It is incumbent upon you to follow the directives I have imparted upon you, because I desire for you to be guided. Undoubtedly, discord and quarrelling is a sign of helplessness and weakness, and Allah is displeased by this. In other words, there should be no discord, otherwise they will not be helped, nor will they succeed. O people, it has been placed in my heart that whosoever carries out unlawful deeds, Allah the Almighty distances himself from that person. In other words, Allah the Almighty is not pleased with such a person who commits unlawful acts. And whosoever abstains from unlawful actions, Allah the Almighty forgives their sins. And whosoever sends salutations upon me once, Allah the Almighty and his angels will send down mercy upon him ten times. And whoever does a good deed, whether it be to a believer or a disbeliever, then his reward will be ordained by Allah the Almighty. He will be rewarded instantly in this life, and after an interval, he will also receive reward for it in the hereafter. Offering the Friday prayers incumbent upon every person who believes in Allah and the Day of Judgment, except for children, women, the sick, and the slave in captivity. Whoever shows indifference towards this, Allah the Almighty will show indifference to him. In essence, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, set out a complete set of guidance, and perhaps this was owing to the dream he had seen. It was a complete guideline on how Muslims should conduct themselves. He then stated, Allah the Almighty is self-sufficient and praiseworthy. I have commanded you to follow all those deeds that I know will grant you nearness to Allah, and I have warned you about all those deeds that will push you closer to the hellfire. And the faithful spirit, Jibrail, has revealed to me and placed in my heart that no soul shall taste death until they have gained their rightful provisions. Their provisions will not diminish, even if there is a delay in receiving those provisions. That is, Allah the Almighty will grant reward for one's deeds. This refers to all types of provisions. Therefore, fear your Lord and act with moderation in your pursuit for your provisions, so that you may receive it with blessings, lest you are driven to hardship in pursuit of it. Carry out virtuous deeds, attain the loftiest of morals and always strive to gain provisions which are lawful and pure. Because what Allah has in store for man can only be attained through obedience to Him. Allah the Almighty has clearly defined for you what is lawful and what is unlawful. But in between these two there are many things which are doubtful. Many people are unaware of them except for those whom Allah the Almighty has protected. And those of you who abstain from those will uphold their honour and their faith. And those who indulge in them, that is, in the unlawful deeds, their example is like that shepherd who is close to his forbidden grazing pasture. It is nigh that he may enter that pasture, and every king has a pasture that is forbidden pasture. Hearken, undoubtedly the forbidden pasture of Allah the Almighty are those things that he has declared to be unlawful. That is, abstain from all those things that Allah has made clearly unlawful. A believer compared to the entire population of the believers is like the example of the head compared to the body. When a person suffers from a headache, the entire body experiences pain. If the Muslims remain mindful of these things today, then the enemy would not have the courage to even set their sights upon them. Hazrat Khalifatul Masih I, radiyallahu ta'ala anhu states that on the day of Ahud, the enemy walked from Makkah to Medina and the very weapons which Abu Sufyan brought from Syria and for which the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, travelled towards Badr in order to intercept his trade caravan and thereby the might of the disbelievers was completely shattered. The very same weapons were now gathered to be used against the Muslims. The following verse of the Qur'an alludes to this and those who spent in this cause. That is, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا يُنْفِقُونَ أَمْوَالَهُمْ لِيَسُدُّوا عَنْ سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ فَسَيُنْفِقُونَهَا ثُمَّ تَكُونُوا عَلَيْهِمْ حَسْرَةً That is, surely those who disbelieve spend their wealth to turn men away from the way of Allah. They will surely continue to spend it, but then shall it become a source of regret for them. In this battle, Bani Tahama and Bani Kinana also took part, and the enemy numbers had reached almost 3,000. They were all clad in armour, 
and 700 of them were on mounts. And each and every one of them was eager to quickly exact revenge against the Muslims. This zealous army of men, which comprised of many small tribes, was under the command of Abu Sufyan. And they had firmly established their base in the northwest of Medina. The valley of Ohud was all that remained between them and the city of Medina. And having established their base, the disbelievers began to then destroy the fields and orchards of the people of Medina. The companions became extremely angry and the Muslims prepared for revenge. They earnestly requested the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, to be granted permission to defend themselves. And so the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, took a thousand men and left Medina in order to fight against them. One of the chieftains, Abdullah bin Ubay, who resided in Medina and outwardly showed himself to be with the Muslims, right at the crucial moments before the battle, separated himself from the Muslims along with 300 of his men. The Muslim army was now reduced from a thousand to just 700 and the small army had only two horses. But despite this, they very bravely marched forth. Passing through the date orchard, they arrived at the Mount of Ahud. The Muslim army camped the entire night in the valley of the mount and after offering the Fajr prayer, they gathered in the battlefield. In other words, the battle commenced at this time and the details of this shall be narrated in the future sermon. I have been continually reminding members to pray for the Palestinians, so do continue to pray for them. In recent days, after the pause in fighting ended, exactly what was expected is taking place now. The Israeli government is bombarding and attacking every part of Gaza with even greater force than before. Again, more innocent children and civilians are being martyred. And now, even a representative of Congress in the United States, who perhaps belongs to the Jewish faith, has said that this is enough and that the United States must play its part in bringing this to an end. The President of the United States is also now hinting that this firing and the bombardment must end, which is taking place in the North and the South simultaneously. Before it used to be said that nothing will be done in the South, yet there are now attacks there too. However, we should not make the mistake of thinking that the words of the American President are as a result of any sort of compassion for humanity. Rather, these words are for his own benefit, seeing as elections are coming up in the United States and the younger population is calling for a ceasefire, as are Muslim Americans. Hence, all this is being done to win votes. Otherwise, there is no compassion for Palestinians or Muslims. The voices of the Muslim countries are beginning to gain some strength. However, until they unite and call for a ceasefire, there will be no benefit. May Allah the Almighty establish unity amongst the Muslims. The non-Muslim world knows that there is no unity in the Muslim world. Rather, Muslims are killing each other. Take the example of Yemen and similarly other Muslim countries. There are thousands of children and innocent people being killed at the hands of Muslims. In fact, hundreds of thousands are being killed in some places. Consequently, this emboldens non-Muslims who think that it is fine to inflict cruelties upon Muslims, as they see that Muslims inflict cruelties on themselves as well. And so, when Muslims do not care for the lives of other Muslims, then why would the enemy have any care? Allah the Almighty has strictly warned in the Qur'an against the taking of life of other Muslims and has rendered a Muslim who does so to be hell-bound. Thus, may Allah the Almighty enable the Muslims to unite and become a means of ending injustice in the world rather than fighting amongst each other. The UN has tried raising its voice, but who listens to them? They claim that they will do such and such, but they cannot do anything because there is no one who listens to them.
The major powers exert their rights. And so may Allah the Almighty have mercy upon the Muslims. In any case, in order to end these cruelties, we must pray. And alongside this, just as I have already informed the members through their jamaats, that they should contact their local officials and politicians so that they raise their voices to end these injustices. Similarly, we must convey the same message amongst our contacts as well, that we must strive to end these injustices. May Allah the Almighty save the innocent from these cruelties. After the prayers, I shall lead two funeral prayers in absentia. The first is of respected Masuda Begum Akmal Sahib of Holland. She was the wife of the late respected Abdul Hakim Akmal Sahib, who was a missionary of the Jamaat. She passed away recently. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. Verily to Allah we belong, and to Him shall we return. Her maternal grandfather, Mia Abdul Samad Sahib, and great maternal grandfather, Hazrat Mia Fatehdin Sahib Sekwa were from Qadian and both were companions of the Promised Messiah The deceased remained engaged in the service of faith for a long time in Holland along with her husband. Upon the instruction of Hazrat Muslim Aud in 1957, Akmal Sahib came to Holland for the first time and his wife was not with him. She joined him in 1969 and later returned and then went again in 1986. During the course of her married life, she spent approximately 15 years on her own due to her husband serving in foreign lands. Among her notable services during her time in Holland was the establishment of Lajna Imaila Holland. She also had the honour of being the first president of Lajna Imaila Holland. She had a relationship of profound sincerity and loyalty to Khilafat. She was righteous, pious, regular in offering prayers and keeping fasts. She was a Musia, and she is survived by three sons and a daughter, all of whom are sincerely serving the Jamaat in one way or another. One of her sons used to be the president of Ansarullah in Holland, and the other has perhaps been elected this year as the president of Ansarullah. They are also rendering services aside from this as well, May Allah the Almighty grant forgiveness and mercy to the deceased and enable their children to carry on the legacy of her virtues. The next mention is of Master Abdul Majid Sahib, a life devotee, who was a teacher at the Talimul Islam High School in Rabwa. He also passed away recently. He had moved to Canada after his retirement, which is where he passed away. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. He is survived by his wife, three sons and two daughters. His son, Mazar Majid, says that my father possessed many great qualities. He was very humble and lived a very simple life. My mother tells me that from their marriage until his demise, she found him to be an extremely virtuous person. She also stated that a few years after getting married, one day he was weeping as he prayed aloud, and after he completed his prayer, she asked him what he was praying for. He responded that it is my desire to dedicate my life and to serve as a teacher at the Talimul Islam High School in Rabwa. He was previously teaching elsewhere in his own area. And so I have been praying that Allah the Almighty fulfills my desire and also makes my wife agreeable to this and grants her heart contentment. In any case, his wife said that you should immediately write to Khalifa al-Masih requesting to become a life devotee. And by the grace of Allah the Almighty, he wrote the request to become a devo- life devotee and this was during the time of Khalifatul Masih II and he approved the request upon which he moved to Rabwa. His son further says that every month when my father received his pay, first and foremost he would visit the finance secretary in order to offer his financial contributions. After that he would take whatever was left and hand it to my mother. After moving to Rabwa, he lived under very difficult circumstances, yet he never complained. He never expressed a desire for worldly or material things. He always advised us siblings to offer the prayers on time and to remain attached to the Jamaat and Khilafat. At that time, the Jamaat's financial circumstances were not very good and there would be great difficulty. But despite this, he lived with great patience. He was teaching at the time when I was in school and I observed him myself. 
These things are not just something his son is saying in order to praise his father. In fact, he certainly possessed these virtues. And the non-Ahmadis were also impressed by him. In 1985, when the government promoted him, and perhaps in 1973 or 1974, when the school was nationalized, he chose to remain at the school. He spent some time at the high school, and then in 1985, when he was promoted and sent as the headmaster of the Islamia High School in Bera, the deputy headmaster there was also the Imam of the Jamia Mosque, and it seemed he would oppose him on account of him being an Ahmadi. However, due to his good character, he respected him a great deal and was very courteous to him. Someone relates that one day I heard him saying to the other teachers that despite him being a Qadiani, he is a very virtuous person. And so, this is how he did silent the bleak as well such that he even impacted those who opposed him. His students would often come to visit him and would say that we used to be your students. However, he used to be most proud of those students and mention those who went on to dedicate their lives for the sake of God. He would very happily say that such and such life devotee used to be his student. He had a great deal of honour and respect for life devotees, Ayyubakfizimgis, May Allah the Almighty grant the deceased his forgiveness and mercy, elevate his station and enable his children to carry on the legacy of his virtues.